Hey, good morning. It's great uh, to have you uh, joining us in this circle. Just as a reminder, um, we gather together. Uh, we want to remember that Christ is central to all that we do. Um, it's, it's more than just we thought this was a cool room set up. Uh, we really want to, uh, to have our focus on Christ. And uh, obviously in this Advent season, as we are preparing for the Christ child, um, it's, I think he's probably more central in our thoughts than at other times of the year. And we celebrate that. Um, but also in this circle, as we look at one another, we look at each other through the sacrifice of Christ. And what a beautiful way to see each other. Um, in that. Um, one of the ways that we start off our services is, our, this part of the service, is by giving you a chance to say hey to the person next to you and also to answer a question. And this one kind of ties in with what we were just um, uh, going with, with our Advent reading. Um, but if you could be God and snap your fingers and make things, make one thing right in this world, what would it be? I know this is a huge question, okay? But if you could be God, and which implies that you're not, okay, for some of you that were thinking, maybe, all right, but if you um, could make one thing right in this world, what would it be? And it could be as personal as, boy, I, I said something last week that if I could go back and make that right, I would love that. Or it could be on a global scale. So turn to the people next to you and uh, introduce yourself if you need to and see what kind of answers you come up with. Thanks. You have 30 seconds to solve all the world's problems. There you go. All right. I'm going to solicit a couple of answers. If you could raise your hand. Ale has a microphone, and he is young and spry and can leap rows in a single bound. So uh, we'll get the mic to you. But what, what, was your, what was your one wrong that you would like to write? Get rid of greed. Get rid of greed. Did the mic pick that up? Yeah. <laughs> Get rid of greed. Yeah. Relieve suffering. Relieve suffering. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we don't get to see his leaping skills with these short, uh, yeah, brokenness. All right. Help you out. Less advertising. Less advertising. Okay. Yeah. Up here. Yeah. I would somehow cause everybody to have to listen to each other. Oh, wow. That was a good one to have the mic. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, up, up here. I would stop global warming. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we all decided we were going to end wars. And one of the ways we were going to do that is create an effective United Nations and everybody has to turn their guns in in exchange for something that works. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Somebody, uh, oh, yep. I'll see. Courage to take the right stand. Mm. Yeah. Remove all fear from people's hearts, and I would replace it with love. Wow. And I think the rest would fall into place. Yeah. Mm, great word. Yeah. I'd eliminate child abuse and make sure everybody had a loving, and um, they got all the tools they needed, because then all those war things would need to happen. Mm.
my wife suffers from chronic pain, so she's in severe pain 24 hours a day. So if I could snap my fingers, I'd make that go away. Amen. Now he wants to say something. <laughs> Called out. Uh, I'd uh, have Eve not listen to the snake. <laughs> All right. So we have been, we've been talking um, in this Advent season. Um, the series title is A Call to Prepare, and we're talking about um, in this season that we think about preparing for Christ's birth, and we look at scripture passages that addressed how the people were preparing for the coming of the Messiah. That applies to us in a couple of ways. One, um, we believe that Jesus is coming back, and so how do we prepare for his return, for his second coming? We also believe that he is alive and well, and he breaks into our day-to-day. And so how can we prepare ourselves for the ways that he breaks in? Today I want us to consider, um, what do we do when God's not breaking in the way we think he should? Can we wrestle with that? It's kind of a, kind of a heavy question, and I'm not going to necessarily be able to give you a, clear, a crystal clear answer by the end of this, all right? But I, I would like for us to just kind of enter into this um, enter, enter into this question, and maybe it's something that you continue going uh, with a conversation over lunch or with your faith community. But what do we do when God doesn't do what we think God should do? How do we, how do we deal with that? Um, could it be that in that liminal space, in that meantime, in that um, between the now and the not yet, that we, are, um, we have an opportunity to be transformed and to be um, made more like Christ? Could it be that he is still in that moment preparing us for something, even though he's not answered that question uh, that we have? Um, because I think we've, we've been there. And, um, you know, uh, Dave, um, thank you for what you shared with, uh, with your wife and chronic pain. Um, he's also, you'll get a chance to meet him at the Plant With Purpose table back there after the service. Um, you know, sometimes we can celebrate how God answers a big prayer, but have you ever kind of thought, well, I'm, I'm glad he answered that. Awesome. But I've, I've been praying this prayer for years. Where's God in this? Can we just be honest and say that we've, we've wrestled with some of that stuff? Um, this has been an, a, an amazing week in our, in our family. Um, my father-in-law, uh, last Monday, went into cardiac arrest. He was it was really looking grim. We got Beth to St. Louis as, as quick as we could on Monday. Um, come to find out that the doctors were giving him less than 10% chance of making it. And he is up walking around, um, just miraculous what God is doing. And we celebrate that. Um, but there is a part of me that sometimes I wanna, I wanna celebrate that, but I also wanna be sensitive because I know some of you have been praying for some miracles that haven't happened. Um, I could share some things that I've been praying for for years, that I'm still waiting, hoping that, that God will intervene. And so in week one, we talked about uh, one of the ways that we prepare is we wake up and we get dressed. It was the way that the scriptures put it. And what, what that's talking about is um, we recognize reality and truth that's going on around us. And then we clothe ourselves in Christ and love and compassion. Um, we also, and then the, the following week, in week two, uh, we 
we were encouraged last week to enter into the stillness and the silence. Instead of running from the wilderness, enter into the wilderness. Uh, we've got the Advent bookmarks, uh, and you can go to the website. These are some ways to engage the scriptures this time of year. We talked about a breath prayer last week, uh, where you could name a, a characteristic of God that was especially meaningful, and then also in that same breath prayer, exhale your request. What is it that you desire for God to do? Um, I don't know what your experiences were for that. It's not too late to implement it this week, um, but those are some ways that, that God can, can break through or that we are preparing ourselves. And last week, as we talked about John the Baptist, he was in the wilderness, literally. Uh, he was preaching in the wilderness. He was this, uh, this guy that we described as, as pretty out there and the way he was, uh, was living life. And today we're going to see that he's in the wilderness, uh, not specifically out in the wilderness where he was, but he's in a wilderness season. And we're going to pick up his story in Matthew 11. We were in Matthew uh, 3 last week, I believe. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 2 through 11. If you want to use that Bible underneath you, you can. It's also going to show up on the, on the screens. All right. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So why was, why was John in prison? Well, he was, he was imprisoned for doing the right thing, ironically. He wasn't being punished for doing something wrong. He took a very bold stand against Herod, who was in an immoral relationship with his brother's wife. Uh, he, uh, the squeaky wheel was noticed by a very powerful king who threw him uh, into, into prison. Not king, but a, a ruler. And so keep that in mind. John the Baptist did what he was supposed to do, and he's being punished for it. Um, he, is, he finds himself in prison. Now, also the thing that, to keep in mind in this part of the story, um, we talked about this last week, John was a very inspiring leader. He was an innovator. He was a real entrepreneur. He was very successful in fulfilling his mission, which was to prepare the way, to call out to people. Um, he was passionate, and his lifestyle attracted a lot of people. They were going out of their way to see and to be with him in the wilderness. Um, but we also see in this story today that he was very vulnerable. Um, he was very raw, authentic, and honest. He pulled his closest friends together. And in this very difficult season that he was in, in this wilderness, he began to question some things. Some things that he was really adamant about with the people that he was closest to, 
that looked up to him. And so, uh, just as we looked at the wilderness as a time of preparation and testing, I want us to don't think of him in, in prison here, think of it as a wilderness. Because this is a time of, of preparation and testing for him. Um, he is literally in a wilderness, not too far from the Dead Sea, actually. And uh, he is undergoing this, this preparation, this testing, and this transformation. Um, there's kind of a pattern that I saw emerge in John the Baptist's life that I could relate to. And it's one that I've witnessed personally. It's one that I have kind of seen play out in other people that are close to me. And it's just this pattern of despair that leads to doubt that can lead to disenchantment. Um, despair to doubt to disenchantment. Um, he's not the only character in the Bible that, that encountered this. He was compared to Elijah, who was also this crazy wilderness prophet. Uh, if you want to read a story about someone who went into deep despair and doubt and disenchantment, you can read his story in 1 Corinthians 18 and 19. It would be one that I would, I would love to see a movie of this guy's life, of Elijah's life. Pretty fascinating stuff that I think we could, we could all relate to in our own wilderness seasons. So, um, so here is John. He's in this prison, and he's kind of saying, Jesus, are you for real? Is all this stuff that I've been talking about, is all this stuff that I've believed in, has it reached the end of its usefulness? Is this as far as this religion stuff is going to carry me? It's been kind of nice so far, but have we, have we hit a wall here? Is there something else that I'm missing? And so he's wondering, as, as this has occurred, that he is, uh, he's, he's in this serious uh, place of doubt. And thankfully, he surrounded himself with some people who, who can help him in this type of doubt, in a time of doubt. Um, I want to say a couple of things about doubt, and that is that it is not an indicator of failure. Doubt is, does not mean that you are failing. If you are here and you have some doubts about God, um, that does not mean that you are less than somebody else who, who claims to be really confident. Um, in fact, I want you to know that in the midst of your doubt and in the midst of some of your hardest questions, you may be closer to God than you've ever been before. I, it's almost kind of like, you know how the, they say that um, it's darkest just before the dawn. I wonder if maybe you having the courage to ask some really hard questions in the midst of doubt is something that is just is proof that um, you are really close to something big, some type of a breakthrough. Um, questions and doubts do not imply weakness, dullness, faithlessness, at least not at their core. Um, questions are actually a really healthy part of our growth, if that helps you in, in some ways. I don't know if anybody's ever given you permission to ask questions and to struggle in your faith, but it's okay. We're gonna, we see here that some of the greatest figures in the Bible wrestled with these questions. Um, as I said, it's, it's been just a crazy week for us as Beth's dad, Jim, came out of this... Uh, he was uh, heavily sedated for some of the procedures that they were doing. One of them was they iced him down. They, they reduced his core body temperature to 89 degrees to try and slow any potential brain damage that took place because they don't know how long he was without oxygen uh, when he went into cardiac arrest. Um, as they were bringing him back out of that sedation, one of the things that one of the signs that he was doing good was he was asking questions. 
It was like, how did I, how did I get here? What's going on? If you're doing that, does that mean? And so he was asking questions, and that was a sign that he was curious. His, he was making some connections there. If you are in a place in your faith journey where you are asking questions, I want to say that is a good sign. Keep asking questions. Um, for, for our high school students, I know that you are you're in an ideal place to begin asking questions because you're, you're maybe taking what a parent said and you're kind of pairing that up with what you see firsthand and you're asking and wrestling and you have great people such as Brian that you can go to and say, hey, this is, this, I'm not sure about this. And you're not going to get a response of, what do you mean you don't believe that? Of course that's true. Um, unless it, well, that's, I asked him about Santa, and he said that to me. Um, of course that's true. No, but, um, you know, he's a safe person for you to go to with questions. Do you have someone like that? Um, when we are down and discouraged and begin to doubt, um, those are good people to have. Uh, I was uh, flipping back. Every once in a while, I'll go back through old journal entries. This was back from 2010 when I was... Uh, I got to go over to Israel and some surrounding areas, and it was actually got to visit a place where they believed that John the Baptist was in the wilderness and where people came to him for baptisms, and, and it was close to the Dead Sea. And this was my journal entry that day. I had a really down day today. It began 1,500 feet below sea level. Our hotel, that was kind of supposed to be a little funny. Get it down, down, Okay. Our hotel by the Dead Sea. By midday, I walked, climbed, sweated, and gasped my way up the mountain of Masada. After all that exhausting effort, I attained an altitude of nine feet above sea level. <laughs> That's all. All that work just to get my nose above the water. Have you had some days like that? You start off down, and you work, and you... Maybe it's through asking questions and you're wrestling, and at the end of the day, you just feel like you just barely have your nose above the surface. And you begin to wonder, was all this climbing worth it? And I wonder if that's basically what John was asking. I did all of this climbing, and here I am. Was it, was it really worth it? So despair can lead to doubt, which can lead to disenchantment. Um, I want to focus on a few verses in particular. In Matthew 11, beginning in verse 2, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? It was not despair over the fact that he was in prison that caused him to doubt. Did you catch this? It's when he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. Something didn't add up. It wasn't that it didn't add up because he was in prison. By this time, he probably knew, I'm going to be persecuted for doing what's right. Just because I do what's right doesn't mean that things are always going to turn out well. I get that. But there is something about the deeds of the Messiah. He was like, wait a minute. This doesn't add up. Um, one of the books that I was reading for commentary said this. Uh, something that Jesus was doing did not seem quite right to John. Jesus did not fit the idea of Messiah. He was not acting the way John thought a Savior should act. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was not taking Herod's sin away. Jesus did not fit John's theology. 
So John wondered. There is comfort in the idea that faith as strong as John's is capable of doubt as strong as ours. Isn't that true? We kind of have that little bit of comfort. In other words, John was like, if I was God, this isn't how things would be. If, if I was God, I'd be doing something different. And I would be stepping in in a different way. So how did Jesus respond to these doubts and to this disenchantment? Verse 4, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, it's quite possible that he was reaching back to, um, the, uh, if you were reading through the Advent readings, this would have sounded familiar from the Isaiah passage and also from Psalms. In Isaiah 35, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So it's possible that Jesus was just saying, I, I'm going to answer with this answer because he's familiar with the scriptures and that may have been something that would have resonated with John the Baptist. But here's the question, why did Jesus give this answer to someone who was probably looking more for comfort than the right answer? You ever been in that situation where you, I don't really want to know the right answer, I just want you to know that you hear me. Um, and I think that's very valuable for us as we... Um, uh, Dave, are you saying for us to be listeners, for everybody to be listeners? It's, sometimes it is that discernment. Um, are they looking for answers? Are they looking for comfort? What do they need right now? Um, sometimes to, to come right back with a Bible verse would be uh, maybe the wrong thing in certain situations. So why, why did Jesus come back with that? And I believe that Jesus, in effect, is saying, um, you're wondering if I am the Messiah and Jesus says, I can't answer that for you. That is something you're going to have to decide whether I am for real. So look at the evidence. What do you see? And he lays it out there, which for an all-powerful God is remarkably humble. He is saying, I'm just, going to, I'm just going to lay it out there. I want you to look at the big picture, and I want you to make, make a decision for yourself. And when we find ourselves in that in that cycle of despair and doubt and disenchantment, we have a decision to make ourselves. Jesus is saying, I want you to decide in this moment, do you believe that I am who I have said I am? Um, who do you go to in a time of doubt? Who are those people that you can surround yourself with? Um, I think it's important uh, to understand just a couple of things that we need if we're going to survive in the wilderness. Um, Matthew 11, 2 and 3, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, um, surround yourself with the right kind of people. And here's how I would define the, the right kind of people um, that you need in your life. When you are in this wilderness season of, of disenchantment, do you have people in your life who know where to find Jesus? Do you have people in your life who know where to find Jesus? John the Baptist said to his friends, hey, I want you to go to Jesus. And they knew who he was, and they knew where he could be found. Do you have people in your life who know Jesus and know where he can be found? Do you have people in your life who know 
that he can be found in earnest prayers? Do you have someone that is saying, I am going to go to Jesus and I'm going to pray on your behalf? Who do you have interceding for you? Um, The last couple of weeks, we've talked about spiritual practices that you can engage in in solitude and silence and stillness. More the application point here is one in which we engage in community. And this week, maybe that would be the challenge for you is to engage in community. Who do you have in your life that knows where to find Jesus? If you don't have those type of good people, um, ask us about a faith community. Get to know us a little bit, and we'd love to pair you up with some people who can, who can help you with that. Do you have people in your life who know where to find Jesus? And secondly, do you have people who speak Jesus' words back to you? They know where to find Jesus, and they are faithful in communicating to you, this is what God has to say. In week one of this series, we talked about how important it is to have those people that will tell us not necessarily what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. That will claim, that will stand alongside us and say, yes, this is the reality of your world, but this is truth. This is truth right here. People in your life who know where to find Jesus, people in your life who speak Jesus' words back to you. And then I just kind of want to wrap up with this. Um, I think when you find yourself in this cycle of, of doubt and despair and disenchantment, you have to listen to who Jesus says you are. And who Jesus says John the Baptist is in this passage and who we are is worth writing down. Stick it somewhere where you can see this every day. This is going to change the way that you view yourself. It's going to change the way you see the world. It's going to change prayerfully the way that you will communicate with Jesus. In Matthew 11, the last two verses there uh, for our reading, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. In other words, um, this one that Isaiah was telling you about, yes, that is John the Baptist. He is who he claims to be. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty, pretty bold statement. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So there's a lot, of, a lot going on in this. Let me break it down real briefly here. Um, the first question is, how can John the Baptist, in such a low point of his life, still be considered great? You thought about that? Here he is questioning, wrestling. This is a really tough season. And Jesus says, there's no one that's been born on this earth any greater. Um, That word in the Greek for great is mega. There is no one more mega than John the Baptist that's been born. I mean, there is no one bigger, more significant. Um, This is an amazing person. How can Jesus say that about someone who is in the midst of questions and doubts and a lot of second guessing. I could sum it up in one word, gospel. The gospel is how Jesus sees him as great. See, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus sees us not for what we have done, but through the lens of what he has done on our behalf. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate what he has done on our behalf. John the Baptist was great, not because of what he was doing or didn't do. He was great because of Jesus and his love for him. The good news is 
we are loved just as we are. The good news is greatness is not something we attain. Greatness is something we receive. You are mega. Let me explain how you fit into this. Among those born of women, there is risen no one more mega than John the Baptist. So you've got John the Baptist, no one born of, of women. In other words, physical birth is what he's talking about. As far as people who were physically born, this is as good as it gets. But Jesus is kind of referring here to two births because he goes on to say, um, but if you were born in the kingdom of heaven, then you're even greater. So what Jesus is saying is that even the lowliest child of God is greater, is more mega than who you think of as the greatest person ever to be born. Of the people born physically, John is mega. Of the people born in this kingdom, into this spiritual family, you are even more mega than that. And again, how does that happen? Gospel, because of the good news not because of something that we have finally um, clawed our way to. It's a gift. It's something that we can open our heart to and receive. And for those of us who have spent a lot of time trying to climb from 1,500 feet below sea level just to get our nose above the, the sea level, this is a powerful truth. The good news is God meets us right where we are. And he pulls us up to him. And he loves us. And he says, you are great. The good news is that the father sees you through the lens of his son. He sees you through the greatness of his son. So this is really an incredible message of hope. When you doubt and wonder, God graciously sees you as great not great once you settle all your doubts or obtain all the answers. It is during that process of wrestling that God sees you as great. Will you receive that? Will you receive the fact that he looks at you and says, you are my beloved. I know you're wrestling right now, but I love you. There is no one greater than you in my mind. So a couple of questions for you to ask. Who are the people with whom I can be honest instead of faking my way through this? Do you have somebody in this season? Who is that person you can be honest with and not fake your way through this? And secondly, because of the gospel, how does God see me? Who does God say that I am? And punctuate that with, he sees me as his beloved. He sees me as mega. He sees me as great. And when we come to the communion table, we celebrate the good news. We celebrate what Jesus has done on our behalf. We're going to uh, come together in just a moment. Um, in fact, if, if the worship team wants to make their way up to the stage, um, you'll have an opportunity to take the bread and to dip it into the cup, and you will taste and see the Lord's goodness. It is a way for us um, to symbolically remember his sacrifice for us. It's a way for us to remember that what he did was a great display of love. And because of what he did, we have an opportunity to be loved and for him to see us as great.
What a great way for us to carry into this holiday season and all the craziness that ensues for us to have this inner centeredness that says, I am loved as I am. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Um, would you just, in your own way, open yourself up to God and say, I receive what you have for me today. I receive the word that you have for me today. I receive the love that you have for me today. It could be in the midst of your questions, you can say, I receive the silence that you have for me today. And then as you um, are prepared, you can make your way to the table and it will be a powerful picture of you saying, I receive his gift. This is the gospel, this is the good news. Father, we, um, we owe it all to you. We are grateful. Thank you for seeing us, not just for what we've done in this last week or so, Thank you for seeing us through what Christ has done on our behalf. It's in your name we pray. Amen.